Hello and welcome to the Blood and Thunder Master Preview Podcast. My name is Tom Savage. I hope you're having a good week. We are into the second warm-up game of Ireland's preparations for the World Cup. It is against England in the Aviva Stadium. It is on Saturday evening. I think it's at around five or half five. One of those anyway. Check up the RTE guide if you still buy it. Do, do you still buy it? Um, it is, like I said in the, in the, the green eye ahead of this, Warm-up games are kind of meaningless, right? Like, they are friendlies. But when you look at the two teams that are named here for this game, like, it's not nothing. Like, these are two very serious teams when you look at, like, who's being named on both sides. This would not look out of place for a Six Nations um, game. And with that, like, there comes a bit of pressure straight away off the back of that. Like, I'm looking at the both Ireland and England here have really, really strong teams out. Both are looking for momentum, I suppose, running into the World Cup itself. Like, losing one of these games now, it creates a wave of negativity that will need to be dispersed. And it doesn't mean that you're going to do well or do poorly in the World Cup. In the green eye as well, I went into the... The main thoughts I have on warm-ups is that I only remember the bad ones. Like, I do not remember the good performances that Ireland have had uh, in, in World Cup warm-ups. Like, we've beaten France in the World Cup warm-ups before, and it's ultimately been meaningless when it's come to the knockout stages of the World Cup. So, looking at the, the ones that, that really stuck out to me, like I'm looking at the 2007 World Cup in particular, <laughs> are ones that really stuck out to me. Uh, David Wallace getting his um, career ended essentially, in 2011, um, and another loss to Scotland. Um, and then I'm looking at Wales and England. Like, we lost two games there in 2015, and, and like, that's what sticks out to me. M- mainly, I suppose, with the the, way, the Welsh one, that's where Tommy O'Donnell dislocated his hip, and I, I suppose the trajectory of his career never really recovered after that. Um, and then that loss to England, like, 57-15 back in 2019, like, that, that was a friendly loss. That's a, you know, ultimately meaningless, but... It still meant something like that. That like you came away with a feeling that everything wasn't quite right <laughs> with Ireland to lose a game like that, like that. So they're meaningless if you win them. I suppose is the main thing. Nobody's going to look at it like if Ireland were to beat England at the weekend. Nobody would look at Ireland any 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 better or worse than what we are already perceived as, which is like one of the best teams in the world. We're expected to you know to to contest a final or at the very least go deep into this tournament. Nothing changes about that if Ireland are beat England in this game tomorrow. If Ireland lose this game on on Saturday, then questions start to arise, and it's the same for England. Like you look at England, like the last couple of games that they've had, they they beat. Wales technically <laughs> last weekend um, but by the skin of their teeth and a fairly rotated Welsh side to be fair as well like this is kind of where we get into it where Wales lost that game at the weekend but honestly I think it was so close and Wales were so relatively weak that it almost counts as a sort of a negative win for England that's kind of where they're at at the moment though I think if we look at England in the last year under Eddie Jones initially and then under Steve Borthwick it's just been a cascade of misery um, performances haven't been where they need to be they've had really poor losses um, it feels like the team itself has no identity and the worst part about it is from an England fan point of view I would say is that it feels that the best is behind you for quite a while 
like I, I look at the team that's there and even the team that's named here like there's guys here if you go back four years ago you're thinking fucking hell that's some team you know like Marlo Itoje Courtney Laws Billy Vunapola um, Jamie George Elliot Daly George Ford Manny Tuolagi Anthony Watson like Freddie Shepard Anthony Watson was a lion in 2021 I think it was 2017 as well I think but like there's real quality there in theory but it just feels that England are not they haven't pulled it all together and I think that this game on the one hand is a great chance for them to kick off and I think match up with a team where if all goes as they hope I think gives them the scope for a really good performance I think that what Wales did last weekend especially at Twickenham made it very difficult for England to perform Um, Wales were in pure cast mode in this game last weekend they hardly played a fucking thing they played low risk rugby if they had a functioning set piece they would have won that game even with the the rotated selection that they had England on the other hand were just really struggling to get anything going one stat sticks out to me right when you look at all the other teams and you look at um, what happens after they make a line break for all of the other tier 1 teams the most likely outcome after a line break is a try. When you look at all the outcomes that happen after a line break, the most likely one is a try. Except for England. <laughs> Except for England, where the most likely outcome of a line break in 2023 is an error or a turnover. That's in 38.5% of uh, the time when they make a line break. The second most likely outcome is uh, 20 with, with 23.1% is a try being scored. Um, but the Next one after that is uh, 19.2%, which is them turning the ball over with a kick. So they're the kind of things that kind of show me that a team, they aren't sure who they are. They aren't sure of their identity either as a defensive or as an offensive team. And I think on the whole with Borthwick, they know what they want to do. But that at the moment is still at a very nebulous, vague, general way where they understand that a lot of what they do is going to be based off the back of their kicking game, their transition defense, their phase defense once they go past a certain number of phases, their ability to retain the ball in the backfield, their, then their kicking game off the back of that, then their line-out defense, like literally their line-out defense. And you see, it's the stuff after that that's kind of causing them a bit of a problem at the moment. And that's kind of the, the biggest issue for me really looking at England over the last number of weeks is that they're an incomplete team from a conceptual perspective like they, like again a lot of the stuff that you would associate with like teams who are playing good rugby England have like they have um, a 96.3% ruck retention rate the international average is 90, 95.7 so that's good their own ruck speed is 58.3% an average of 3.86 and that is below the international average, uh, which the for rock speed to be between zero and three seconds, sixty-three point five percent is is the general average across international rugby, um, and for them to be three point eight per six on average, not good. That's a kind of a sign that conceptually they're not where they need to be. Um, but again, they're not that far off that you'd go, okay, well, look, this is a a massive problem for them. 
but I think looking at their their work inside the their own twenty two, they look exactly like it. When you break down their ruck speed, they look exactly like a team who does a lot of kicking in there. Their average uh, ruck speed in their own twenty two is uh, ten point six or ten point three seven seconds, which is again very long that's a long time in their own 22 because they kick for the most part in there they have no intention of playing with quick ball in that area of the field but England when they do get into the opposition um, 50 and 22 and again we look at their their own 22 50 42.1% of their rocks are over 6 seconds what does that tell us that tells us that they do a lot of kicking there as well because the ruck obviously is being set up for a kick, be it off nine or off ten. So the ruck is going to be a lot slower there in that in, in that point. But where they do have really, really quick ball that is above the average for the whole, you know, for, for the international average is between the halfway line and the opposition 22. That's where 71.6% of the uh, percent of their rucks are under um, three seconds and the average there in total is 2.7 seconds so they play a lot of their rugby there that's where they want to play when they are attacking their major breakdown players there are Mario Batoji Jamie George and Oli Chesham um, Oli Chesham is on the bench for them today but um, you look at Ellis Genge and Kyle Sinclair these are big attacking breakdown players for them and that's kind of like again it, it, that translates over into the, the opposition 22 as well but like where they, I think they have 2.96 as their ruck speed average and 64.9% of all their rucks are under those three seconds but their biggest problem here is executing because they have a really poor return from their um, their 22 entries which is a kind of a feature really on both sides of the ball for England where um, you know you look at outliers at the moment in the game for 22 entries Georgia are actually ahead of absolutely everybody at the moment where they have an average of I think it's between 13 and 14 22 entries per game and they scored 3.4 points per 22 entry now that is in part due to the fact that they are playing against tier 2 opposition or tier 3 opposition in some cases so that's kind of we kind of dismiss them to a certain extent like it's it's very good obviously but if we're looking at at England we see them that they're in the the bottom left quadrant when we're looking at our 22 entry graphic which I'm looking at but you're not <laughs> do you look at them they're they're right on that kind of halfway line where they're very closely related to France actually like where they get between 9 and 10 I think it's 9 point the, the average is 9.8 is the median. They get just under that. They get around 9.5, um, 22 entries per game. But their conversion of points is way lower. They get around 1.6 points per entry, which is really, really low. You look at um, France, who get just over 10 or 10.1, I think it is. Um, France get 10.1, England get 9.6. France, uh, their 22 entry is 10.1. That's not all that more. Than, than what England do but they're converting their points way way more um, efficiently than what England are from more or less the same 22 entries they're getting 2.8 points per entry now Ireland in this game we get 11 entries um, 22 entries on average and we score um, 2.7 um, so that's Again, it's not it's not blowing the barn doors off. We're we're close enough to France. They get uh, more points per entry than than we do, but we get more entries, so we get more chances to score those points if that makes sense. And we're quite good at taking them. Uh, Fiji, by the way, are actually doing really really well at the moment as well, where they're getting eleven point seven uh, twenty two entries per game, and they're scoring two point eight points per entry, which is again really really good. What marks Ireland out as being 
the number one team in the world, in my opinion. And this is what I was speaking about in the um, World's Most Wanted podcast yesterday, is our defence. Our defence is outstanding at the moment. We are the best defensive team in uh, in world rugby at the moment. You look at the 22 entries that we concede per match. We are down there with uh, 7.822 entries conceded per game, right? Which again, that's middle of the road when it comes to, you know, the the number of entries we concede. Uh, France concede nine entries per game. England actually concede 7.1, which is less, right? Um, South Africa concede only 6.5 entries per game. But we concede only 1.4 points per entry, which means that teams have to work incredibly hard to score any sort of try or any sort of points against Ireland. They have to go through, on average, around 7.8 or 8 entries, we'll say, to score one point. Um, and, and that is you know, really, really good. A lot of that comes down to Ireland's use of possession. Our kicking game is a big, big part of that. We kick the ball with a, a really high frequency. And I think that when I was going through the, st- the, the statistics on this, it it kind of brings home how much Ireland kick really. And people just don't have any understanding or any appreciation for Ireland's kicking game. I think it's because most of it is now not done by the, the nine that it's it's far more palatable for people. Most of our kicking is done by our half, by our 10 and by our outside backs. And like, again, like England kick the most out of any team in world rugby at the moment. They have an average of 31.6 kicks from hand per game. That is a lot. That is a lot of kicking. Now, Ireland are not that far behind them realistically. We're 28.5 kicks per game. And like people just don't notice it. A lot of what Ireland do, and I think England are, are, are kind of similar here as well, is that like, they, like they're kicking to force a sequence of play that they want. Again, people don't kick the ball to just get rid of it. You're kicking the ball for the most part because that is the way you want to play the game. You want to start a sequence that you control and that's where you play your best rugby. That's where you score your points. That's how you build your team. That's how you build your whole your whole identity is around what you do with the ball, whether you choose to give it to the opposition or whether you don't. England choose relentlessly that they want to kick the ball downfield and then play off the back of whatever happens next. Both England and Ireland are are decent 22 like our uh, transition defense teams, but Ireland are way way better right now than England are in that space. England just for me are not accurate enough when it comes to their transition defense they concede too much ground it's it's they concede too many penalties as well as another aspect of that where it's too easy for teams to progress down the field against England and I think that's one of the the big takeaways in in the last number of of um of of weeks and maybe this entire year is that England have become for the, for a team who kicks the ball away as much as they do they do not defend with the intensity or the accuracy that they would need to make that amount of kicking work. And then on the other side of the ball, they're not producing opportunities. They aren't producing line breaks. They aren't defend they aren't beating defenders with the regularity that they need to. Um again, I just think that they're in a bit of a mishmash at the moment where they aren't quite sure what they're doing and they aren't quite sure um how to take advantage of the space that they do create. There's lots of role flux I see here with players who aren't they aren't generating the amount of um, 
I, I suppose workable opportunities that the space that they do create would suggest that they should and plus as well we're just looking at I mentioned there earlier what happens to them most often when they create a line break is that they turn over the ball be it through a kick or uh, through an error that's what happens in the vast majority of cases when they do create a, a line break so I think at the moment there's a lot of flux there where they aren't quite sure what they're supposed to be doing and there's a little bit of confusion there it seems the attack aspect of it and their defense aspect like that seems like well they're the two main problems <laughs> when you think about it like that's a, a really big problem to have they aren't scoring enough points from the entries that they do create and then they're letting in too many points on the other side from their from their on the defensive side of the ball like that is a killer for them at the moment like again we just look at the, the, the 22 entries against um like england are conceding 3.2 points per entry but if you look at the number of entries that they allow it's less than Ireland but they're conceding 3.2 points per entry that is massive absolutely massive and it's like it's 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 killing them at the moment like Kevin Sinfield the, the 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 defensive coach for England like under pressure that man is that's a lot of like under pressure in his job obviously he's been through a lot of lot worse things in his life than uh, you know being under pressure in his job but England's defense at the moment is absolutely killing them and uh, a lot of their discipline as well comes down to that too like I mean they have a lot of defensive uh, they have a lot of their their ruck penalties are really high um, scrum penalties actually really high as well We're, you know weirdly enough but when we look at their um, the, the tries that they're scoring we're not seeing a massive identity there either like you look at their counter-attacking tries for a team who kicks as much as they do they've only got two tries on counter-attack again France have six, Ireland have five. This is this year, by the way. That is, again, it should be more, okay? They kick more than anybody. They should have more tries and counter-attack off the back of that. Um, they do score a lot of their tries from the line-out. Um, they score more mall tries than anybody else, and they drive the mall for a further distance than any other team. They've scored four tries. So of those tries there from England, half of those were mall tries. They were scored directly from a mall, which again, like their offensive mall, is quite good. Um, and their their work in the aftermath of a mall once they get to close range is generally quite good as well. But again, I feel that should be higher. Like Scotland, for example, they've scored 14 tries in the line-out. Now, a lot of those are malls, but they have a lot of work off the line-out as well where they score within two or three or four or five phases off the back of it. A lot of Scotland's tries come from that. Um, a lot of Scotland's tries come from the scrum. They have five tries scored, which is the highest across all the teams in the the in, in the in in tier one or the top 10 or whatever else or whatever you want to call it. They've scored a lot of tries off the, the scrum in the last year. Um, Ireland have scored as well they've scored four tries as have uh, France have scored three Fiji have scored four like you look at the teams like you've got to have something that you can fall back on and I think for England like they haven't like they're they're not scoring as many tries as I I think that they should but again I, I think that the identity I'm not sure that we're seeing too much identity from where their tries are coming from either so again I look at I look at the um the the 14 tries that they've that they've scored like again the two of them are counter-attack eight were in the line out they got scored one off a scrum they scored two from a tap penalty and one from a turnover this is not a massive there's no massive identity here when you when you look at ireland you're seeing 
two main things sticking out well one Ireland have scored more tap penalties than anybody well Argentina and Georgia are the same but Ireland scored a lot of tries from tap penalties and a lot of tries off turnover four actually but you look at the the line out is still a massive area for Ireland to score tries on nine and five tries on counter attack which is really really good they feed into what Ireland are good at that's a count like that like that is a a counter transition team but you would expect that five tries on counter attack uh, nine tries off the line out and even the 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 three t- uh, tries off the tap penalty all that comes from the building up of pressure and like if you look back at some of the average as well of of England like their their, their turnovers conceded 14.9 when they handle the ball far less than Ireland right Ireland's average is 11.7 turnovers conceded um England is 14.9 on a team who handles the ball way less that's unsustainable so like I think like the bit with the build up to this game that's the big feature for me is that if you're England you want to take Ireland's line out away if you take Ireland's line out away you can then try to handle Ireland on, on transition which is difficult but I think England would back themselves to do that but a lot of what they do with the with, with their kicking game is getting the ball off the field and getting a lot of line outs that's a mistake against Ireland. Now, I think England would back themselves, as I wrote in the in the green eye, to give themselves, you know, maybe 20% of Ireland's lineouts and get at them and disrupt them and make it unusable, right? They'll, they'll steal a few of them. They will disrupt a few. That's, you know, fairly average. I think you look at, at the uh, percentages for Ireland in the last year, Ireland have an 87.8 lineout success rate, which is, again, pretty good. Uh, England's is 88.8%. So again, look, they're they're more or less equivalent there. But one of the big things I look at from Ireland, by the way, is that a lot of what we do from the set piece is actually very low risk. Like Ireland mauled a lot. Like Ireland have mauled more than any other team. Ireland mauled 58 times in 2023 so far. That's a lot. And most of those malls are built from the front and the middle. So we don't do a, a whole load of high risk line out maneuvers. That, that's one of the biggest things about Ireland in a set piece. Our line-out's actually very low risk. And our, our work off the line-out is based all on the mall. But you look at our scrum as well, is actually fierce low risk. We don't do a whole lot of, sh- of, of looking to try and go forward in the scrum. The majority of what we do in the scrum is holding static on both sides of the ball. So we try, again, and, and we ha- concede a slightly higher percentage of penalties. All of the penalties that Ireland concede is slightly higher percentage than a lot of the other teams actually bar England uh, is conceded at the scrum but we do not try to be overly aggressive at the scrum at all we try to lock it out try to be very very make it a platform to play off rather than a weapon in and of itself like our our scrum success rate is 92.3% England's is 92.5% to give you an example of the Springboks they're 100% scrum completion rate but it's not like the scrum is not a weapon for Ireland but it's if there's any weakness it is there but it's whether or not you can actually make the you know the average of what four or five scrums per game to actually make them count is difficult in the modern game from a rock success rate Ireland are 97.3% on average uh, England 96.3 small little difference there but um, you know I think you look at England uh, with their gain line going forward are 51.3% there is a sort of a correlation between the higher your percentage of ball over the gain line the slightly lower like, like that kind of pulls down your rock success rate a small bit but um, they're fairly evenly matched there as well I mean realistically so I think that like both sides are set up really to not neutralise each other but kind of give each other a kind of a fairly 
make this a difficult game for 40 minutes unless there's a wild succession of errors you know and we'll get to the teams there now looking at England uh, in the front row they've got Ellis Genge Jamie George and Will Stewart in the second row Marla with Toji and Dave Ribbons with uh, Courtney Laws captaining the side as a half lock with Ben Earl and Billy Vunapola rounding out the back row at half back they've got Ben Youngs and George Ford uh, no Owen Farrell here for <laughs> fairly fucking obvious reasons I didn't mention this yesterday or, or go into this too much in the in the other podcasts I've done this week because it's just been an absolute it's been a shit show uh, from the Six Nations uh, World Rugby have been trying to manage this in the background as well as best they can um, the disciplinary com- um, panel behind this how they managed to mess up what was a slam dunk three game ban uh, like if Owen Farrell had been banned for three games for that tackle that he did against Wales People would have been upset. There would have been people giving out. Oh, he's going to miss the, the, the opening game of the tournament or whatever else. But they would have gotten over it. It would have been a small... Like, there would have been, you know, a, a day or two people kind of half given out or whatever. But that would have been... That would have been it. Instead, by overturning the red card that he got, that he was correctly awarded, in my opinion, they turned this into an absolute clown fiesta. Owen, uh, Owen Farrell's father was asked about it in the press conference there uh, for Ireland yesterday um, th- was he what Thursday or th- th- yeah Thursday for me no business asking the man about his son first of all never mind the fact that he's an opposition player coming up this weekend or, or technically would have been like and and Andy Farrell spoke about it like that it was, that it, was it, it turned into a circus and it, 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 it did become a circus it became a circus because of the decision to overturn the red card if that turned into a three game ban some people would have given out but most people would have been just like okay fair enough he's got his ban three games okay maybe he should have gotten four or whatever else or five but he got banned there would have been very there would have been far less drama than what we have seen over the, the last couple of days where world rugby are now are, are reopening the case and they're going to they've appealed it basically and, and they're going to have a another go at it and where he probably will get a ban this time some of the reasoning behind it about how oh there was a dynamic change of, of height because of Jamie George running into Tane Basham and honestly like as in it's it just seemed like the most sleazy kind of Saul Goodman-esque you know you know lawyer bullshit to get him off and it just seemed that the panel looking at the decision were only begging for a reason to do so um, and I think that the reaction to it off the back of it couldn't but be personal to Owen Farrell like I think Owen Farrell is actually a really good character I think he's a good guy uh, and like yeah look he's, he's his tackling technique he's been all over the place he's hurt guys but look it's a physical game alright I'm not going to be just like oh he's a danger no, he's not okay like he's a tough tackler he's a, he's a big physical player that's a big part of his game He's been banned before. You could, you should argue that maybe he should get six or whatever, six weeks this time around. But you want the best players playing in the World Cup as far as I'm concerned. So I would have been happy enough with three weeks, right? But when they overturned the red card, that meant that all of the controversy was going to be based on player safety and what it means. But because Owen Farrell is the guy at the centre of it, it can't but be personal off the back of that. Where it is going to look like it's all about Owen Farrell that oh everybody's just giving out about him and it's making it a big deal for him like being at the centre of, of, a, of a storm like that regardless of whatever it's, it's just it's not a nice place to be I know a lot of these guys don't look at social media but you fucking end up hearing about it or you end up being passively aware of it you know 
even if you try to keep your 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 bubble around you as, as solid as possible. So yeah, it's 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 a tough one, but like it's a it's a big disruption for England, obviously as well. Although I think looking at their team here, it might be better for them. Just based, I think it's going to give them an interesting look that they might not have gone for otherwise. About how George Ford might run this system, I think a little bit better. I think he is a better and more varied kicker of the ball than about Owen Farrell is. I think Owen, Owen Farrell is a great player. Don't get me wrong, but I think that George Ford's kicking game is more versatile. And it's more, I think it's more varied, and it's it's the kind of thing that I, I I think will give them, will give Ireland more pause because of his ability to put the ball into the exact space that he wants to get it to, and his tendency is either he's a really good passer and he's a really good kicker of the ball. That actually thinks will really suit what England are trying to do here, but obviously we'll see. He's got a bit of firepower outside him as well with Manitou Laggy and Joe Marchant at 12 and 13, with Elliot Daly, Anthony Watson, and Freddie Freddie Shepherd, Freddie Stewart. Who the hell is Freddie Shepherd? Um, in the um in the uh back three. So um, I'm just looking here. I'm just gonna actually gonna, just gonna change that right now. Freddie Stewart. Good God. Um, but. They're the replacement bench. Just going to have a quick run through it there. Is <clears throat> they have Theo Dan, replacement hooker, Joe Marler, Kyle Sinclair, Ollie Chesham, Jack Willis, Jacques Willis, Danny Kerr, Marcus Smith, and Ollie Lawrence. Ollie Lawrence actually is looking at some of the stats I've got here. He gets over the gain line incredibly well for England in the last year. But yeah, th- this is the this is the team that they have. Like that, that's actually not a bad team on paper at all. I suppose it comes down to their their pack build, and they've gone with Billy Vunapola again. Like I think he's look Billy Vunapola at his peak was one of the best players in the world. I think certainly as a power forward, there was very few guys anywhere close to him. Injuries kind of took a lot from him in the same way they did for his brother. But I think that that's a team that if they can avoid giving away too many stupid penalties, could keep Ireland contained for 50, 55, 60 minutes. But I'm looking at the last couple of games that England have played against Ireland um, this season and the season before, they were completely undone by red cards and indiscipline. And they conceded two red cards in the first minute, I think it was, in the game in Twickenham two years ago. And at halftime, just about, in the, the game just gone, with Freddie Stewart got um, off with a, I think he got a, a high tackle and he got he was sent off for it. And you're looking at the other game where I think it was, was it Dave Ewers? Um, had a right belt on James Ryan as well and, and you know James Ryan was you know concussed after it as was um, you know Dave Ewers red carded so England in both cases in the first half and in the first part of those games did quite well until the dam broke and they weren't able to hold Ireland back anymore so obviously keeping 15 men in the field at all times is a huge part of beating Ireland or Leinster you know because Ireland are based a lot on what Leinster do that's a huge part of trying to beat Ireland so I think that's going to be a big feature for them if they can do that I think they'll back themselves to be a lot closer on the scoreboard than the last two games might have suggested but I think a lot of it will come down to can they deny 
giving Ireland too much line-out possession if their transition defence holds. That's going to be the big part of it. Uh, Ireland have named, uh, in the front row, Andrew Porter, Dan Sheen and Tyke Furlong. Tyke Byrne and James Ryan, who captains the side, are in the second row. Back row, Peter O'Manny, Josh van der Fleer uh, and Kean Prendergast. Uh, half-back, Jameson Gibson Park and Ross Byrne. James Lowe, um, Mac Hansen and Hugo Keenan are in the back three with a midfield of Bundy Aki and Gary Ringrose. On the bench, they have Robbie, uh, Robbie Herring. <laughs> Robbie Herring. Um, Jeremy Lockman, who's set to make his Ireland debut, I think. Finley B. Joe McCarthy Caelan Doris Connor Murray Jack Crowley and Keith Earls who is set for his 100th cap uh, should he come off the bench here which he surely will um, Keith Earls getting 100 caps I have not really spoken about it too much this week um, one I didn't know whether he was going to be in or not even though that there was heavy rumours around that he was going to at least be in the match day 23 earlier in the week um, because like when you look at Keith Earls and you think you'd ask any Munster fan um, or most Irish fans their opinion of Keith Earls is going to be so positive. And I think that my own respect for Keith Earls went through the roof after reading his autobiography and, and seeing that guy on the Late Late Show um, where he was speaking about his own mental health issues was just the most r- ridiculously brave thing I've seen a guy doing who was still an active player. You know, speaking about, you know, his his, his bipolar disorder and, and how it's affected him and how his mental health has affected him over his career on top of the injuries that we all know about as well it's such a vulnerable place for him to put him himself as as a as a pro rugby player but he just like the way he was able to express himself and the way he was able to to, to talk about this really desperate thing that had affected him and, and never mind stuff about his his reading and bits and pieces like that I just have just the utmost respect for Keith Earls as a, as a guy you know, never mind. He's a rugby player. We think where he's incredibly good, and he has been the like like. First of all, he was the kid. Then he's the man. The way that he has progressed his career, every knockback he's got, he's come back from stronger, better. And you look at him now at at thirty four, thirty five. Like you look at the wing and the back three in 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 Test rugby. Never mind club rugby. It's a young man's game, but they always say to beware the old man in the young man's game, and that more than applies to Keith Earls. He is still, you put him into space, he will score a try for you. You give him a half a gap, he'll go through it. There are few better players who are good at reading like defensive patterns and offensive patterns than Keith Earls is. His ability to transition from backfield defence into secondary line into primary line and then to make big dominant tackles when needs be as well on the edge coming in it's outstanding and I think that at this stage we saw him miss a tackle against Italy for example when he was defending a little bit more centrally when you put Keith Earls on the wing and, and have him there at, at, at in, in this day and age like there are few defenders I would say who are as sharp as him or who is capable of if they go and look to try and make a defensive shot that they stick it and they land it each time that's Keith Earls the completeness of his game at this stage where he's a really sharp kicker of a ball he gets that ball down the tram line you rarely see him make a mistake in where like, he might get overpowered physically if he, if he gets caught wrong or whatever else but he's rarely caught wrong and his his entire presence I think is just so calming for any back three having Keith Earls there just gives you so much confidence that well we don't have to worry about that fucking half of the field because Keith Earls has that covered like I'm still not sure whether he'll make the World Cup or not but 
you could not want for a more experienced guy, for a more empathetic guy, for a fella who is more giving as a as as a player to those around him than Keith Earls. Like there are plenty of fellas around the place who you know they they have nicknames, they have this that and the other, but there is no guy who I think encapsulates the man than Keith Earls, and I think that the respect that's there for him in this game is just. It's bottomless for the most part. Anybody who doesn't respect Keith Earls doesn't know him and doesn't know this game. So seeing him getting his 100 cap here just makes me really proud to be from the same place as him, which I know sounds fucking corny, but honestly, he, he just gives you those feelings, does does um, does Keith Earls, and I want nothing but the best for this guy um, because, fuck it, he deserves it. Um, but yeah, look, just looking at that team overall, that's very, very strong from an Irish perspective. I think looking at Kean Prendergast there with number eight, I was speaking about uh, in World's Most Wanted yesterday about how they look at Kean Prendergast as being a Caelan Doris role twin. This is his audition um, where he can show that fully. Um, he will provide a lot of what Kean Prendergast does here which is a blend of everything a bit of ball carrying a bit of line out work a lot of breakdown work offensively his defensive breakdown work is going to be very important as well because that's a big part of Caelan Doris's game but I think Kean Prendergast has that in his locker where he is very mobile on transition defence as well which if you look at Ireland's how little we can see 22 entries and the points that we concede Dennis or low off the back of those a lot of that comes down to our transition defence and how often we kick the ball. Like, the more you kick the ball, the more mobile your back row has to be. And I think that that's what Ireland have been looking at and that's what Ireland are building towards is that sort of build and that sort of player at the moment. That's what we're doing. So um, th- that's the build. Uh, everything else is fairly obvious. You know, look at Porter, Sheehan, Furlong getting a run out here as well. That's very close. Like, that is the... Fir- that, that, that is the... the, the, the full strength front row as far as I'm concerned um, Jeremy Lockman has a big opportunity here as well because there are there is always injuries in the front row a strong showing from him and I hope he gets a lot of time here will give I think Andy Farrell a lot more confidence of using him I think Lockman is a really solid scrummager and that's something that this Irish team with the way that they run their scrum is actually really important Jeremy Lockman is not going to be a fella who's going to like fucking ring penalties out of a fella but he's very unlikely to get absolutely pumped at the same time as well, usually. So that's going to be like a big a big factor for them is that, are you a solid scrummager? Yes. Are your extras around the field really good? Like your passing, your breakdown work with Jeremy Lockman, they, re- they have really improved. So it's a big opportunity for him. Finley Bealham, I think, would be a 1A, 1A, 1B with Tyke Furlong at this stage. I'd be more than comfortable starting Bealham against anybody. And I, you know, I, I wouldn't have said that maybe 18 months ago. He's really come on as a player. Um, but for me, the big thing in this game is Ross Byrne. He's going to be under pressure here because against George Ford, like George Ford is going to put England into the right areas of the field with the ball, um, unless he's having a wild off day. For Ross Byrne, that puts a lot of pressure back on him where Ireland and England will get into kicking duels tomorrow. Like this is going to happen in this game for sure. Like just chalk that down from the very start. How Ross Byrne, on top of like, it's not going to fall all on him because James Lowe is a really good relief kicker. Um, Hugo Keenan is as well, but a lot of the pressure, and Mac Hansen too. But Ross Byrne has to show value here. So we know that he's a guy who's good at running the plays. He is a good passer of the ball as well. He's a solid defender. His problem for me is his pace. 
that's a big issue for him athletically he's not a guy who's going to trouble England too much with the ball in hand himself so his passing has got to be good he cannot get into step and sling mode especially if England are playing the sort of kick pressure kind of half counter transition half kick pressure game that they're trying to play at the moment because he's just going to end up getting the likes of Bundyaki and um, Gary Ringrose absolutely fucking smashed to pieces so he has got to demonstrate that he's at least capable of generating half a compression to start putting guys into space with his passing but for me the biggest aspect of his game is his kicking against La Rochelle in the second half when he, when uh, La Rochelle stopped giving Leinster line-out position Ross Burns' influence in the game dropped way way back when La Rochelle were giving Leinster a ton of lineouts in the opening 20 minutes of that game, Ross Burham was able to run the plays, run the schemes, hit the targets. He knows how to do them in his sleep. When it comes to running a phase play game where La Rochelle were keeping the ball in field and not giving Leinster lineout position, that put a lot of pressure back on Ross Burham. And he ended up just booting the ball away rather than getting into counter transition starter games. There's going to be a lot of pressure on him here if I'm England he's the fella I'm looking to squeeze and I know everybody's like oh put a shot in the 10 or whatever else it's not about that it's about putting him into a position where the the, the fucking spotlight's on him can you make your kick and it's not about like making your kicks off the tee that'll be important but for me it's about can you run the counter transition system last time out this ended up being England kicking the ball 33 times Ireland kicking the ball 34 times back in the Six Nations is Ross Byrne capable from the start of getting in here and managing that game from the very beginning and making sure that he's getting Ireland working with that momentum? Can he make that happen? Because England, I think, will not provide the sort of sloppy phase play that produces easy turnover ball in their own 22 and their own, you know, 22-50. I think they're going to play very conservative there. That's going to put pressure on Ross Byrne can he run those plays? Can he run Ireland's post-transition phase play game with England looking to defend off ball? That's going to be the question. I think England will be looking to, like, they're going to have to push the edge on the breakdown as well. You know, referee's going to be hugely important there, but I think that's the big thing. Can Ross Byrne stand up to the pressure that's going to be coming from England looking to manoeuvre him as in, okay, we'll play those post-transition phases and make something happen. Or those longer kicking sequences where he has to try and make something happen. Is he capable of doing that? That's going to be the big question. And it's going to be a really interesting interesting game off the back of it. So thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much for being a TRK subscriber. I will talk to you again very, very soon.